you're listening to the SSPX podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. fled into Egypt and the return. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 23. When Jesus was therefore born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of King Herod, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to adore him. And King Herod, hearing this, was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ should be born. But they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come forth the captain that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, privately calling the wise men, learned diligently of them the time of the star which appeared to them. And sending them into Bethlehem, said, Go and diligently inquire after the child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I also may come to adore him. Who, having heard the king, went their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, until it came and stood over where the child was. And seeing the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And entering into the house, they found the child with Mary his mother, And falling down, they adored him, and opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having received an answer in sleep that they should not return to Herod, they went back another way into their country. And after they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in sleep to Joseph, saying, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and fly into Egypt, and be there until I shall tell thee, For it will come to pass that Herod will seek the child to destroy him, who arose and took the child and his mother by night and retired into Egypt, and he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, perceiving that he was deluded by the wise men, was exceeding angry and sending killed all the men children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the borders thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice in Ramah was heard, lamentation and great mourning, Rachel bewailing her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in sleep to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead that sought the life of the child, who arose and took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But hearing that Archelaus reigned in Judea, in the room of Herod his father, he was afraid to go thither, and being warned in sleep, retired into the quarters of Galilee. And coming, he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was said by the prophets, that he shall be called a Nazarene. So that was quite a long reading. Like the Holy Family, we we have a lot of ground to cover, a lot of things to consider here. So let's get started. So verse one, when Jesus therefore was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of King Herod, 
Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, Herod, of course, was not a Jew. He had gained the throne uh, by force. And the fact that Herod is reigning is actually a fulfillment of one of the prophecies for the coming of the Messiah. It had been foretold that the scepter would not pass from Judah until the time was fulfilled for the Messiah to come. And Herod was an Udumean. He was, uh, again, uh, an appointee or ruled as a, a vassal um, under the Romans. And so he was not somebody who was, was very much liked by the Jews of the, of the time. He was viewed as an imposter, and this is one of the reasons why he spent so much money rebuilding and beautifying the temple in order to try and win the favor of the people and legitimize his rule. Now, we are told that these wise men come from the east in search of our Lord. Now, who were these wise men? Now, there are various schools of thought. Some people viewed them as the, the natural scientists of their time, being astronomers, being stargazers, and, and again, natural scientists. They were wise in, in, in the sense of searching for truth. And we can see how God uses them, uh, again, to be witnesses to the gospel. Some speculate that perhaps these men were actually Jews that were still living in the, the area around Babylon, south of Babylon, um, from the days of the Babylonian captivity in the times of the prophet Daniel. And if they were, well, then they certainly would have been familiar with the prophecy of Balaam, about, or where it says uh, in the book of Numbers, that a star shall rise out of Jacob. And of course, they're, they're looking towards the heavens. They're looking for this sign. And God has made known to them the fact of, of this birth of, the, of the, the, the king that they, are, they come to, to worship and to adore, as they tell Herod. Verse 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to adore him. Now, this star of Bethlehem is a topic that we could probably spend a whole conference and, and maybe even several meditations um, considering. But let us just go back to the Psalms where, where David says, In other words, that, that the heavens announce or they proclaim the glory of God. These wise men were not astrologers. They, they were not, uh, you know, they didn't have a crystal ball or weren't reading tea leaves. But they did see this, this sign that had been foretold in the heavens. And being attentive, being watchful, being vigilant, God reveals to them this truth. And we can say that, that even today that God, God appears, so to speak, to, to those men who honestly go in search of him. And we'll come back to that point, I think, again later. Verse 3, And King Herod, hearing this, was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, we've already mentioned how Herod has a right to be troubled. He's a usurper, as we said. He's somebody who is not loved by his people. And the idea that there is someone who has been born who is going to be the true king um, is going to be a cause for him to be disturbed. But we read additionally that all Jerusalem is, is upset. They are, they are troubled by what they hear. And you might ask, why, why is this? All the Jews, all the men of goodwill from, from the beginning of time were looking for this promised redeemer, for the, for the Messiah. And yet when it is announced to them, we see how they are troubled. And we could, we could easily imagine that perhaps it's, it's out of a, an attachment to the status quo, a certain complacency, a contentedness with, with their state in life, even though they are an occupied people, the, you know, the Romans are occupying uh, uh, Israel, they are, they are a subject people, we can say, and yet 
we will see later how the high priest, when it comes time for our Lord's Passion, he says that it's it's better for one man to die than the, than the, than the people. And it is, a, a certainly in their case, um, a fear that the Romans will come and take away, you know, the, the people. They will... The people will lose their position. When I say people, I mean those in authority, those uh, in the court, in the temple, in the government, that the Romans will displace them. And it's an attachment precisely to that status quo, as we mentioned before. And we can certainly see a parallel in, in uh, the fact that we, you know, by, by our sin, can very easily become slaves to our passions. And we can, you know fall into a kind of tepidity where we simply accept that, well, this is just the way that it is. This is the way that I am. And the idea of, of our Lord coming and shaking us from that lethargy and, and pushing us and saying that we've got to go higher, it can be something troubling for us, something that maybe disturbs us. So this is a lesson that the scripture would have for us, seeing their example, not simply looking at them and saying, what terrible people these, these, these people were, but rather saying or asking the question in my life, am, am I a little bit like them? Am I content to be a slave? Am I disturbed when our Lord comes and, and appears, you know, in when he inspires me, of course, or when he sends me his, his lights or his inspirations, or maybe in something that I read or a sermon I hear, or whatever it might be. Let me, let the Magi, of course, be be quick to to follow, to discern, of course, and, and then to follow God's will wherever that leads and despite whatever hardships it may entail. Verse 4, And assembling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ should be born. Here again we see something that's a little bit remarkable. These men to whom Herod inquires about where the Messiah is to be born, these were the ones that should have known that the time was right for his coming. It was remarkable that they didn't see the, the angels that appeared to the shepherds. It's remarkable now that the Magi come and they tell them of this star that they've seen, and yet the people here have paid no, atten no attention. Was it perhaps because they were too caught up in their, their easy life? St. Thomas Aquinas later will say that when they clamor for, for our Lord to be crucified, when the high priest and the scribes offer him up and the Pharisees, they did not know what they were doing, but St. Thomas will say, but they should have known. And so their ignorance really was culpable. Now, verse 5, but they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by the prophet, verse 6, and thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come forth the captain that shall rule my people Israel. Now, this is a prophecy from the prophet Micah. And it's interesting, we might, we might observe here, they, they let the Magi go. The Magi come, they announce what they've seen, the people um, are turned and, and forced to look at these prophecies, and then they let the Magi go, and no one bothers even to go with them. Okay, well, you go check, and then you can come back and you can tell us. That's what Herod's going to say. But the scribes, the Pharisees, the high priest, why is it that they don't go? It's, it's really mysterious. And again, applying it to my own life. Is there a lukewarmness? Is there a tepidity? Is there a, a certain rut that I get into where I, I, I don't fight anymore against my venial sins, against my faults, but I'm, I'm content to be just the way things are, to, the way that I am. And I, and I cease to really make any serious efforts. I'm content to sit here in Jerusalem 
And if God comes to me, well, that's fine, but I'm not going to go in search of him. There's something wrong. Verse 7, Then Herod, privately calling the wise men, learned diligently of them the time of the star which appeared to them. Verse 8, And sending them into Bethlehem, said, Go and diligently inquire after the child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I also may come to adore him. Now we know the history of the story, that he's being deceitful. We can note that he calls them secretly. He doesn't want anyone else to know that he's showing any interest in them because he has, of course, evil designs. That is one thing in our spiritual life. This um, lack of openness can be a, a mark of the devil's operation in our soul. It's important that we, we don't have secrets, that we don't keep things hidden from our, our confessor, our spiritual director. But to be completely open and honest, I mean, that is the kind of goodwill that God is looking for. Remember when the angels appeared, they said, peace on earth to, to men of goodwill. I mean, clearly Herod lacks that goodwill. Now, his behavior, we can say, is really diabolic in the, in the strictest sense of the word, where he appears to say things kind, and yet we see a, an evil intention, an evil design underneath. It is um, a fault that we can fall into using kind words to speak of someone else, but in fact, using them to turn um, a, a third party or another person against this, uh, this person of whom we're speaking. Um, I forget the, uh, the spiritual author that said, you know, when we really want to, to hurt, you know, somebody, you know, we're speaking about them to another person, to um, really make the, uh, the wound effective, we draw the person in close. So I, I speak about someone, I say how, how good they are, how kind they are, how hardworking they are, how sweet they are, how this they are, how that. But then, I, but then there's always the but that comes after. But, you know, he, he has his problems or whatever. And then we begin to tell them all the, all the bad things about the person. But we, we try and absolve ourselves. We try and, you know, pretend to have some sort of objectivity by speaking kind words about the person before we begin to assassinate their character. It's truly diabolic because the devil, of course, when he brings evil, it's always under the appearance of good. Verse nine, who having heard the king went their way and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the child was. Verse 10, and seeing the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, the star, the star is just a sign, of course, of Christ. And yet, even at seeing merely the sign, they rejoice. It's a reminder of the joy that we should have in, in the things of God, not only God himself, but in virtue, in, in the saints, in heaven, in the, the various good things that lead us there, the sacraments and what have you. They should be a, a, a source of joy in our life, those things that point us towards Christ. Verse 11, and entering into the house, they found the child with Mary, his mother, and falling down, they adored him, and opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, it's worth noting, um, they don't arrive at the manger. So quite a bit of time has passed between the birth of our Lord in Bethlehem and the arrival of the, the Magi. It's probably as much as, as one or maybe even two years. Remember Herod later, he's going to execute all the male children, you know, two years and under based on the time when the Magi saw the star. 
they would have seen the star. They would have made preparations for the journey. They would have set out, you know, several hundred miles um, on this trek. And when they do finally arrive, um, we're told that they enter the house. And the, and the word that's used in Greek, it's not stable that they enter, but it's a house. And so the census has finished. The people who were there for the census have all gone back to their homes. Mary and Joseph have now found lodging. We can imagine that Joseph maybe made the trip back to Nazareth, gathered up his tools. And for the last year or two, they've been building a, a happy home here in Bethlehem. And it's into this home that the Magi enter. And again, they find Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and the child. And the word, again, in Greek that describes our Lord, it's Pideon. So it's not an infant, but it describes rather a toddler. So a, a, a little boy. We can imagine maybe our, our Lord is walking. It's, it's not hard to imagine. You know, maybe the, the clamor of the camels and the servants, you know, outside the, the home maybe brings the, 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 the child curious, so to speak, um, to the door. He pulls back the, uh, you know, the blanket and he's, and he's looking on this, this, uh, wondrous scene that's unfolding before his, his human eyes. And we read that coming in, they adored him. And so again, just as when we go to church, we see, uh, our Lord in the blessed sacrament, we adore our Lord in the blessed sacrament. All we're seeing um, the accidents, of course, all we're seeing is just simply it looks like a piece of bread, and yet our faith tells us that God is there. And so, too, these wise men, there was nothing we might say that was terribly remarkable uh, about our Lord. He looked like an ordinary little boy. And when speaking of our Lord, one of the fathers of the church, if I recall, he said that wherever it is evident, provided it is evident that he is there, whether as perfect man as speechless child or as apparently bred, wherever it is evident that he is there, God is there and he is to be adored, regardless of how he appears um, to our eyes. And the gifts that they offer him as well are a manifestation of their faith. The gold as the normal gift that would be paid to a king, that would be offered in homage to a king, the frankincense or the incense is something that is offered. It's burned, of course, in honor of God. And then the myrrh, which is one of the spices that was used in the, the embalming or the preparing of a body for burial. And so we see how each of these gifts, they speak of a, of a different facet of our Lord. The fact that he is king, the fact that he is God, and the fact that he is destined, of course, to die for our redemption. Verse 12. And having received an answer in sleep that they should not return to Herod, they went back another way into their country. I think this is probably my favorite verse in, in all of these verses that we've read, all 23, um, that they come, they make this journey, they find Christ. And having come into contact with our Lord Jesus Christ, they go back a different way. I always stress with retreatants that when they come on retreat, of course, they, they make a journey as well, and they spend this time, these days, contemplating Christ, they can't go back the way they came. Of course, they're going to fly home. They're going to take the same airline, land at the same airport they took off at, etc. But they should go back changed. They should go back, quote unquote, a different way. And this is why resolutions, of course, are so important. When we see, when God reveals to us ways in which we're falling short of his example. We have to take steps to, 
to make adjustments and, and to, to let ourselves be changed, let ourselves be touched by the action of his grace so that we might grow a little bit more, just a little bit, but every day and constantly you know, striving to make progress. Verse 13, and after they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in sleep to Joseph saying, arise and take the child and his mother and fly into Egypt and be there until I shall tell thee. For it will come to pass that Herod will seek the child to destroy him. So there's an awful lot in this verse. And the first thing we might point out is to, to take note of the hierarchy that is observed by Almighty God in communicating this message. The message, of course, is communicated to Joseph. And if we, if we stop and step back for a moment, we look at Joseph. Joseph is the least noble of, of the Holy Family. He's the least uh, in the order of dignity, the least in the order of holiness. And yet he is the one chosen by God to be in charge. I think we spoke about this in, uh, in previous conferences. It's a good reminder for those of us who find ourselves uh, at the head of anything, whether I'm the boss at work, I'm the boss at the home, I'm the boss at the church, whatever. Um, it isn't necessarily because I'm better than the people around me. And yet um, the fact that God has chosen you to, to, to be the one in charge, you have to exercise that charge according to the mind of God and in accordance with his will. But notice that, that God observes that hierarchy. He goes to Joseph, who then passes the word to Mary, who then gets you know, God incarnate, our Lord, Jesus Christ, and they flee. The second thing we may note is notice how they are suddenly uprooted from their home. And this is the second time within just a couple of years. And this time they have the added pain, we can say, of the terror I was thinking, you know, probably in the last year or so preaching the exercises, I could easily imagine, you know, Joseph awaking, you know, being awakened, of course, you know, from, from sleep and already on the outskirts of town, they can, they can hear screaming because the soldiers are coming. They're, they're busting into people's homes. They're ripping, you know, uh, children from, from their, from their mother's bosom and, and, and running them through with the sword. And, and the men perhaps that are resisting, you know, the fathers that try and stop it are, are likewise being slaughtered. And it is uh, a terrifying experience. There's, there's no time to pack. You know, it's not like they have, you know, days notice and they can, you know, prepare food for the journey and maybe borrow or buy a cart and load up their possessions and do everything. They literally are having to scoop things up and quickly in the middle of the night, they run out the back as the soldiers are approaching from the front and they flee immediately following, following the command of Almighty God. Now, we are told that Joseph chose um, actually the longest route into Egypt. It's uh, Tradition tells us that they went and settled um, near Alexandria in, in Egypt. It's possible that perhaps there are still some Jews you know, living in the area, again, from the time of the, of the captivity. Um, and Mary and Joseph, remember, as I mentioned, they've already been uprooted from one home. They had this happy home in Nazareth where they were, where they were destined or to make their life together. And they are forced to, to move to Bethlehem because that's where the Messiah is supposed to be from. Um, but it's not so, so hectic, not so tragic. Here, as I mentioned, they have the pain and the terror of the journey. And this isn't just um, you know, a 60 mile or 70 mile journey, you know, from, from Nazareth down to, uh, to, to Bethlehem, this is, you know, closer to about a 300 mile journey. 
um, on foot, you know, again, without any, any aids, and they are effectively being sent into exile. They're, they're going into a foreign country. They, they most likely don't, don't speak the language. They are very likely, you know, going to have to, to, uh, to be among the pagans. I mean, unless again, they can find a Jewish community to, to settle with. And the pain of this exile is aggravated, we might say, by the uncertainty of the duration. How long is it going to be? Is it going to be six months or a year or two years? And I think all of us, you know, have experienced how the pain of any anything that we endure, whether it's an illness, whether it's an assignment maybe that we're given, you know, a job that we're a task that we have to undertake, we're assigned to something. And if we just knew that in six months, okay, this will be done and it'll be over and, you know, it'll be good and I can I can grow from it. But how much more painful is it, you know, an illness, for example, when we don't know how long it's going to last? And day after day after day, we wake up and we're still hacking. Or day after day after day, we we wake up and our and our back is still, you know, out of joint. We're still in agony. And if we only knew that, okay, in three weeks, it'll be better. Okay, well then we would start checking off the days, and it would ease the pain of whatever it is we were under undergoing. Joseph is sent off into exile with the Holy Family, and he is told, "Go there." Well, how long? Well. Till I tell you, can you imagine that the pain that that would have inflicted on him? And again, this this man who is a just man, a a good man, and one beloved by God, who arose and took the child and his mother by night and retired into Egypt, and he was there until the death of Herod. So we see that he obeys immediately. There's no delay. There's no argument from Mary, and so too. We will obey in the same way towards our superiors if we cultivate a spirit of faith towards them. If we recognize that that all 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 authority comes comes from above, comes from Almighty God. Now I mentioned before that Joseph chooses the the, the longest route to go to Egypt. He goes by the coast road um, by way of Jope or however you want to say it, J O P P E. And why would he choose the longest route? Well. Tradition would say, or, or our common sense would tell us, either one, that it was the route where he was least likely to run into Herod's men. So it's another example of how Joseph is given a command by God, and yet he has um, his own human prudence that he has to exercise in carrying out that commandment. We, uh, we aren't just uh, going to blindly follow. We are going to be given a task by God, whatever that might be, and we're expected to use the, the mind that God gave us to, to discern what are going to be the best means to get us to towards that end, to achieve that end. Another point I always comment on here is to recall that when the Hebrews were in slavery in Egypt, and remember God sent Moses to bring the bring them out of slavery, bring them into the into the land of promise, into the promised land. And when they were delivered, of course, after the ten plagues and everything. Um, there was a pillar of cloud that led them by day and a pillar of fire that led them by night. God fed them with, uh, with quail and with manna in the, in the, in the, in the wilderness. Um, he provided them with water when they were thirsty. He had all sorts of, of paternal care, we can say, for them. He was constantly there for them, defending them, you know, getting them through the Red Sea, destroying the army of Pharaoh, etc. All sorts of help from on high. And now 
when, when, the, when the direction is reversed, when it's his own son going into Egypt and later, of course, you know, coming back out again, God is silent. God is, you know, he leaves um, Mary and, and, and Joseph and, and Jesus to, to more or less fend for themselves. So it is, um, I think, worth pondering. You know, sometimes we feel like we've been abandoned or maybe, why doesn't God help me? I go to Mass, I say my rosary, I do all these things, and yet God seems to leave me alone. Well, if he does, it's so that we can be more like his own son, which is what is going to save us, really. We will be judged on how we have uh, conformed our life to the life of his son. And so, again, let us Cultivate that spirit of faith and, and follow follow God's will wherever that leads. Verse 15, that it might be fulfilled which, which the Lord spoke by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So again, going back to Moses in the Old Testament. Moses, of course, is a figure of Christ. And Moses, of course, brings the Hebrews, which were, you can say the Hebrews were a symbol of, of fallen man, of, of sinners, those who were were slaves of sin, okay? Moses brings them out of the slavery of Egypt into the promised land, of course, as our Lord Jesus Christ brings us out of the slavery of sin into the promised land, the true promised land of heaven. Verse 16, then Herod, perceiving that he was deluded by the wise men, was exceeding angry and sending killed all the men children that were in Bethlehem and in all the borders thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, this is a terrible crime, the slaughtering of these innocent children. And of course, we, you know, maybe it brings to mind, of course, the, you know, the great crime of, of abortion and the, you know, the slaughter of so many innocent ones. But if we look at Herod, what is it that moves him to do this? Well, we are told he's exceedingly angry. And anger, of course, like any passion, when it becomes, you know, inflamed, it tends to blind the intellect. It tends to, to, to blind us in our thinking and moves us to do things that we would normally not choose. Now, we don't have um, direct power over our passions, whether it's, um, whether it's fear or anger or lust or, or sadness or whatever it might be. And so if we don't want to suffer you know, the, the, the arousal of those passions, whichever they may be, the only thing we can do, we don't have a despotic control where we can just turn it on and off, but we have what's called a political control. So by denying um, the mind, the object that makes uh, makes me, you know, angry or sad or fearful or, you know, uh, arouses the concupiscence, if I, if, if I deny the, the mind that object, the passions will naturally die down. It's like turning off the gas on a, on a flame. If the if the the fuel is there present, well, of course it's going to blaze brightly. And if we don't want the fire to continue, well, then we have to cut off the fuel. So it's the same thing when when our passions get worked up. You know, rather than nurturing the grudge, rather than constantly replaying the insult or constantly replaying the thing that's dragging me down and, and depressing me or making me discouraged or the thing that's uh, you know maybe leading me or tempting me, you know, to to commit, you know. Uh, mortal sins. Well, when those thoughts are present, the passions are going to inflame. And if I don't want that, if I don't want to go to that place, well, then I've got to make the choice not to dwell on those things, not to look at those things, recall those things, um, and keep them present because I know where they're going to lead. Now, with Herod, this anger um, moves him again to commit this heinous crime. 
And we can see too, maybe an application in our own life. Um, anger is one of those dead ends, we can say, that, that we take that prevents us from going down the path of true repentance in our own lives. We saw that with Cain and Abel in the, in the book of Genesis. Remember that they're, they're both out for offering sacrifices. God is pleased with one and not with the other, obviously because of the intention of Cain. And Cain gets angry and he's, and he's stirred up with envy and, and jealousy towards his brother, who, again, is just in the eyes of God. And God asks him, why, why are you angry? Why are you upset? If you do good, well, will you not be rewarded? It's a snare that sometimes we can fall into, blaming others, um, perhaps for our own shortcomings, instead of of owning our sins and, and tackling them and, and trying to really uh, amend our life um, ourselves. So be careful about that that uh, that dead end path of anger. Verse seventeen. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, verse 18, A voice in Ramah was heard, lamentation and great mourning, Rachel bewailing her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, Ramah, of course, is a, it's a small town. It's on high ground near Bethlehem, from which the cries of, of the mothers um, could certainly be heard. And Rachel is referred to because she's buried near, near Bethlehem, and she's a figure of of the suffering mothers. Verse 19, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in sleep to Joseph in Egypt, verse 20, saying, arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead who sought the life of the child, verse 21, who arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Now, for a third time, the Holy Family is, is uprooted. Now, we can imagine that a, that a year or two, or maybe three at most, um, have passed. And we can imagine that they've, they've found a home. Of course, they had to basically start from scratch. But Joseph works hard. Mary's uh, industrious and frugal. And they've built this new home. And they are living a, a good, happy life. And once again, they are uprooted by the will of God. Um, Perhaps, of course, now with less less urgency, there's not the, the, the terror factor, but there's still definitely the hardships of the journey. I always think of, uh, you know, the Holy Family when I hear about these military families that are constantly being uprooted. You know, the kids, just, just when you start to make friends and, and get used to a new school or whatever, well, that gets transferred and suddenly we're uprooted again. Remember that whatever crosses God is going to put on us, remember that that he hasn't um, he hasn't spared his own son the same trials, and whatever he gives us is always going to be less than uh, than what our Lord and what our Blessed Mother and Saint Joseph under underwent. And so, let us take courage from that and and learn from their example and ask them to to aid us by their prayers and their in their example. I mentioned before it can be something of a temptation to ask, you know, why why can't God let us be? You know, well. Again, we have, we have the example that he didn't spare uh, those who were dearest to him. Verse 22, But hearing that Archelaus reigned in Judea in the room of Herod his father, he was afraid to go thither, and being warned in sleep, retired into the quarters of Galilee. So here again, we have an example of Joseph exercising his role as, as, uh, as head, um, and exercising prudence. He recognizes that with Herod's son there in the reigning, uh, it is still not totally safe. And we 
see him then um, opt to move then the family back to Nazareth to put some distance between him and those at court in, in Jerusalem. Um, this is um, an example, again, that we, we, uh, we can certainly all learn from. We can't tempt God. Remember that, that he, again, gave us a mind. He expects us to use our common sense, uh, use the, the, the brain that he gave us, um, and not to put ourselves in a situation where we are likely going to uh, fail or become sick or fall into sin or whatever and expect that, well, God will protect me. You know, that is, um, that is really to tempt God. Verse 23, And coming he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was said by the prophets, that he shall be called the Nazarene. Now, if we look for this prophecy in the Old Testament, um, it's it's hard to find. It isn't uh, an exact quote. St. John Chrysostom says that perhaps Matthew is quoting a, a prophet uh, that was lost. Maybe there was a prophecy of the Messiah that said he would be from Nazareth. Um, he could be called a Nazarene from the, the Hebrew word netzer, meaning, meaning holy or separated. Or it perhaps is from the Hebrew word netzer, um, meaning flower. And there it may refer to the verse from uh, Isaiah, in chapter 11, verse 1, where the prophet says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the root of Jesse, and a flower shall rise out of his root. So this flower, this netzer, the, uh, the term Nazarene may be having its root in that. So that is the end now of our considerations. Um, you have these 23 verses now to go back. And reflect upon yourself, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of ground to cover, um, of course, from uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt and back to Nazareth. Um, but a lot to consider, of very many lessons. And, and I, I would say that the, the, the lessons that we can see from the Magi, their preparedness to uh, respond to God's call, their, their high ideals, their trusting God, their, their appreciation of the spirit, the spiritual. And then with the Holy Family, obviously the obedience of Joseph, his, his prudence, the obedience and docility of Mary. And then, of course, uh, the hardships endured by them all. Again, um, even being so close to God, being, being God himself in our Lord Jesus Christ, being those closest to God, um, the members of the Holy Family, and still seeing everything that they endured, um, it's a good reminder that if we're going to follow in their footsteps, there are going to be times when the Father is silent, when the Father seems to, to not have care or concern, and yet we know that He is a loving Father. We know that He's always there for us and always ready to, to help us if we, if we but ask Him. So we'll end it there. Be assured of our prayers for you and have a good meditation. God bless you.